0: Good morning Redemption. How about that baptism slide? I must really love this shirt, I'm telling you. It's something else. It's like, here I am there. Here I am now. Same shirt. I promise I washed it since that day. Good morning, everyone. My name is Warren. I'm one of your pastors, and I'm so glad to be with you this morning as we are continuing along in our series through the letter of 1 John. So, my wife is Jordan, and we are about to celebrate six years of marriage in September, on September 9th. Thank you so much, appreciate it. So, you know, as you get married, there's some things that people tell you about, right? Before getting married, everyone wants to give you like a piece of wisdom. Some of it is good, some of it's like, yeah, whatever. But everyone kind of just like wants to impart nuggets, right, on you. And one of these nuggets you often hear is like, hey, just, just have an awareness. Like when you're getting married, it's not just you two standing at the altar who's coming together. It's your families also coming together. You're combining two families into one. And so with that, there are different ways, you know, family systems, family origins, ways of doing things that come together into one as you are married, and, you know, it's just, as, as that happens, your spouse, right, can see things, see ways that you operate from your family origin. And they usually have a very inquisitive look, right? It's like, oh, okay. That's how you guys do conflict. Hmm, okay, okay. That's how you guys do vacation. Hmm, interesting, right? And if you can't tell uh, the passive aggressive nature of my voice, that's usually how I handle it. Right, but there's all these things that come up that you end up realizing. Maybe you thought, like, "Hey, this is what every family, this is how every family operates," and you come to realize it was just yours. So, for example, like for Jordan and I, the way this played out is, her and I, uh, we would take trips to New York to go see my family because all my family, family's originally from the Bronx, and they all still live in New York. And every time we would go to New York, every single time without fail my family would be having a big celebration of sorts, a big party of sorts. I'm talking, I'm not talking like five to 10 people here with the border charcuterie. I'm talking like we're going 30, 40, 50 deep. We got 25 dishes. We got a DJ going and it's just like full on celebration music on full blast every single time. She's like, do you guys ever do like just a quiet weekend? Like, do you guys ever just like have like a chill weekend? I'm like, No. What are you talking about? Chill weekend. I don't know anything about that, right? Sometimes I think what would confuse her is like, what are we even celebrating? I'm like, listen, listen, babe, I could tell my family, I just passed my admissions test and we're going to be doing this. Like, (laughs) it doesn't even matter. Like, we are going to be celebrating regardless. And so, you know, I I thought every family did that. I'm like, I thought every family did. That's, That's how we lived growing up. That's what we did. And she came to she actually gave me some perspective that that was a distinct feature of growing up Williams. And so, you know, reality is that celebration piece, right? That's a part of our identity, right, as a family. And today, as we get into the letter of First John, we're going to look at the words of John. And what John says is that us today, as a part of the people of God, as a part of the family of God, born of him, that there are ways that we live distinctly showing that we are a part of the family of God. And so today we're going to look at three of those distinctive marks, three of those distinctive features that display and represent the family we are a part of. So that's where we're going today. You guys ready to jump into God's Word? All right, so before we do that, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your Word today. God, we pray now as we open it up. God, and we read the words of your servant, John, that you would open up our hearts, our minds to be able to receive it. Spirit of God, just be moving so powerfully in this place, and uh, may Christ be proclaimed uh, this morning. your name, amen. So open up with me, open up your Bibles or Bible apps with me to 1 John 5. We are going to be just in verse 1 to get us started off today, and it goes like this. John says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. So in verse one, we get distinction one. And distinction one is this. What John says is that we are born of God. And a way that we show we are born of God is by loving one another. And by loving one another, we display that we love God. So distinction number one is we love. So we've been taking this journey through the letter of 1 John, right? And as we've traveled through the letter, something that we've seen, something that John says over and over and over again, is that the love of God and the love of one another as believers is a sign of true faith. And last week, John, not the the apostle, but the Crawford, uh, or I think he's called the Crawfather now, you better call him that right? He gave us some definition when it, came to, when it comes to love, right? But oftentimes, when we think about love, we might have romantic comedy or all the other ways that he mentioned that we can define love. But what he gave us last week was a definition of love. As we read, God is love, and that love is most clearly displayed in looking at the life of Jesus. And so love has a definition. And so as we've read, John, I, I hope you've picked this up is, The way John the Apostle writes is this guy does not pull any punches. He writes in a very black and white, straightforward, in your face way. And if you read just prior to this passage and at the end of chapter four, what he goes, he says, he says this. He goes, If you say that you love God and hate your brother, he doesn't say you're unkind. He doesn't say you're nice. He doesn't say, you know what, you should probably change that. He says, You are a liar. It so says it's straightforward like that. You are a liar. I don't know if John will do well in 2023 without those caveats. You know, we love our caveats. But he goes, you are a liar. And I think what John is thinking back, right? What he's, what he's thinking back to is, he, remember, he's not just pulling this stuff from the clouds. He's not just pulling this out of his mind. John walked with Christ and he heard Christ teach on love. He heard it from the lips of Jesus himself. And he heard the way Jesus talked about the love of God and the love of one another. You see, in John's mind, he's probably thinking back to chapter 13, that moment of chapter 13 in the gospel of John, when Jesus talks about love. And the command that Jesus gives the disciples is he goes, hey, love one another. And by the way that you love one another, the world will know that you love me. Or maybe he's thinking back to that moment in Matthew 22, when Jesus is asked, okay, what's the greatest commandment in the law? And he goes, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And what does he follow that up with? And love your neighbor as yourself. So as we hear, right, the way Jesus talks about this, the love of God and the love of one another are inseparable, What Jesus goes is that these two things don't exist in two separate worlds. We can't just say we love God and think that we're going to go around the love of other believers. They're on the same path, same road. That's why if you hear people who say, hey, I really love Jesus, he's awesome, but I just, I can't stand other believers. I can't stand being a part of a church. It's like you missed the point here. These two things go hand in hand, right? We can't say that we have a vertical good relationship with God while horizontally hating the people who he has birthed, right? The people right, that are born of him. We are a part of a family, right? We are a part of this family that God has called us to love one another. So John goes, you can't say you love God and hate his children. And it's just as simple as this, Right? If you came up to me today and you are like, or maybe, you know, we've known each other for some time and you go, hey, Warren, I really love you. You're awesome. You're cool. I appreciate you. But man, your daughter, the worst. And let me not even get started on Jordan. If you come up to me and say that, first of all, I'm going to have to practice some patience with you. Some holy restraint. But after that, I'm going to go, there's no way you can say that you love me, because the way that you are acting towards the people that I love shows me you don't understand my heart for them, right? Even as if you've been in a situation where two friends are fighting and you're in the middle, right, and they're lobbing bombs back and forth at one another, and you're just in the middle, like, kind of catching strays from all sides, right? If you've been in a situation like that, no matter how much people can, or the the people on both sides may tell you they love you, what you say is, no, you can't love me because you don't understand that my love desires for you guys to love one another. And this is the desire that God has for us as children, to love one another. And when we display our love, for one another, We show that we are distinct, right, as the family of God, loving one another across all sorts of differences. Now, what happens on the flip side when we don't live this way? What happens? I think what happens when we don't pursue one another in this way, right? what happens is we blend right into what I like to call the culture of contempt that's around us. Culture of contempt. And you really don't have to look too far to see this. Go on your YouTube page. Go on the podcast. You see the culture of contempt all around us. And what this culture of contempt goes, is it goes like this. In the case of our faith, it says, our faith would be much better off if these people who are across the aisle from me who I disagree with were just not a part of it at all. And so we're not talking about you know, the close-handed things of our faith. We're talking about some of the open-handed areas where people may have different convictions. And what we know is like, as believers, we know that we are not to hold hatred in our heart, right? We know that hatred is opposed to the love of God. But what often happens is we let the, 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 the slow drip of contempt grow within us. And contempt is just that, a slow drip of hatred. That eventually completes and becomes just that. And so with that, you see all these divisions within the body of Christ, right? You see all these divisions at work, right? And we, we see people with maybe on the, on the, who lean left, have contempt for the people who lean right and vice versa. You see all these uh, contemptuous relationships between men and women. You see contemptuous relationships where people are like, no, we're really taking the Bible seriously over here. No, we're taking the power of the Spirit seriously over here and we're just going to make fun of each other because we're different in that way. It's contempt between rich and poor and for me even one, it's just the people who talk too much and the people who are more contemplative. There's all these different areas where contempt just kind of drips in. And what happens is if we let that get the best of us, we will choose the way of withdrawal versus the way of Jesus. The way of withdrawal goes, I'm just going to grow cold for that part that I don't agree with. I think what we have to understand is when we live in contempt, it shows that we have a misunderstanding of grace, why we have made ourselves the definition instead of God. And we have defined the family by our terms instead of his. And what happens is that we say, well, God wants us to understand is even if we don't share one opinion with one another, we share the one blood of Christ that covers us all. And it's that that should allow, that should shape the way that we engage our disagreements. Amen? Amen? Recognizing that what Jesus has called us to, right, is unity but not uniformity. Unity, not uniformity. I'm going to harp on this topic a bit longer because there are so many ways that this comes up. Like even for me, one of the areas where I had contempt, where that was just welling up for me was just towards the church as a whole. I don't mean like redemption church as a whole. I mean, just like big church as a whole. And there were so many ways maybe that I felt failed by the church, or I saw the shortcomings of the church. And what would happen is I, I watch all the YouTubes, I watch all the podcasts, I watch all the things making fun of the church, and basically, I was just having a field day on the body of Christ. And I think what somebody helped me to realize is, hey, one, when it comes to the problems of the church, you're also a part of the problem. The problems also extend to the person in the mirror. And then secondly, God is committed, Christ is committed to the church. And when you hate the church, what you're saying is, Jesus, I don't love your bride. Because Jesus is committed to the church, even in spite and through all its shortcomings. And so what growing from contempt meant in that space in my life was I had to move from contempt to a commitment to love. So the question for you today is, where do you need to move from maybe contempt towards a fellow believer, a brother or sister, towards a commitment to love, commitment to love in them as Christ has loved us? And I believe when we live this way, right, we display our love towards God. We display our love in the midst of a world that is divided up and has become tribalistic in so many ways we display the love of God who is joining a people together all across different tribes and tongues and nations. We are able to live distinctly when we live this way, representing our family, representing or living from the love that God has for us as we love one another, amen? And so that's the first mark of distinction. We love. Now, what does love look like in action. Let's continue on. Uh, We are going to be in 1 John 5, and we're going to go verses 2 and 3. It says this, by this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. So second market distinction is this, as the people of God, we live in obedience. We walk in obedience to the commands of Jesus. And what John goes is he says, obedience and love go hand in hand. It's our obedience that allows us to display our love for God and for one another. So let's talk about this, because I think in many of our minds, obedience and love seems like they're on opposite ends of a spectrum. I, maybe for you, you've had an experience like me when I've been in church, and some pastor is preaching about obedience, and I just feel like, man, you are simplifying things way too much. Man, you're just trying to eliminate the fun in my life. Man, you're just, you know, like, God is about love, right? That just feels like a duty. That feels like rote, in. That doesn't feel like what love means. So how do we reconcile that, right? How do we reconcile maybe our definitions of obedience? the way the Bible talks about it. Because as we look at 1 John, right, what John says is that love of God and the love love of God and obedience go hand in hand, right? John says that our ability, right, the carrying out of the commands of God is what displays our love and devotion towards one another. And again, as John talks, he's not just speaking from the air, he's remembering how Jesus talked about these things. And as Jesus talked about it, love and obedience, again, inseparable, go together, right? Jesus tells the disciples, if you remain in my word, right, if you remain in my word, that means if you continue in my commands, right, my father and I will come and dwell with you. And it has, so as Jesus talks about these things, these two things aren't apart. They go hand in hand again. And so how do we get there? How do we shift our paradigm when it comes to obedience and maybe remove it from the realm of dog training? What we have to remember when it comes to obedience is who's given us the commands. What What is the person like who's given us these commands? And as we talked about last week, right, the commands of God, don't come from a dictator who's trying to control us and to stifle us and keep us down. They come come from a father who loves us and wants us to continue to remain in his love and experience his goodness. So the commands of God, they're the guardrails of love, right? Even if you take a couple of the commands that we see in scripture and we really think about them, we'll see this. It's very clear. Like, for example, if you take um, Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, uh, Jesus goes, let your yes be yes and your no be no, right? What a word for us 2023 people, right? Let your yes be yes and your no be no. How many of you guys have been on the receiving end of that text? Someone who commits to helping you in some way, maybe lift your 400-pound couch, and you know, they told you, yeah, I'll be there, I'll be there, and last minute, you get a text like, yeah, I'm not going to make it. Even though you were just planning to pay them in pizza, it's the principle. It's the principle, y'all. Come on. And you know what? You wouldn't probably describe it that way, but in that moment, you do feel a lack of love. You do feel unloved as you experience someone not carrying through on what they committed. Now, how many of you guys have sent that text to people? Let's be honest. I know I'm not the only one. Or if you take the commands around anger, right, and maybe sometimes when when people hear about like the Christian view on anger and retribution, they're like, "Oh, you're just being weak." But really, no. What anger does is actually make you weak, right? It weakens you from the inside out. And so the commands around anger are protection, right? They're a a a way to keep you from destroying yourself worse than whatever you're angry about. And so we can look at, we can take all the commands, scripture. there are all these ways that they actually prove themselves to be the guardrails of love versus the way to keep us down and eliminate our fun. They are actually what allow us to participate in love, both of uh, towards our God and towards one another. And there were, there was a season in our church, right, where I really saw this clearly at work, clearly, clear as day. Um, it was during this time. How many of you guys remember this? I can't tell if it's bringing up good memories or bad ones. I can't even tell. But it was the year of 2020, right? 2020, and we had a lot going on. We just had a lot going on. We had COVID going on. We had all sorts of unrest. And on top of all of that, we had uh, an election. It was an election year. And we remembered What four years prior looked like, it was vicious, it was mean, and we saw all sorts of division within the body. And so what we said is, okay, we want to approach this year differently. We want to approach 2020 differently. In spite of everything that's happening, we believe and we know that we are called to be faithful followers of Jesus, even through tough political seasons. And so how do we do this? And so the way that we pursued this was something we call the King of Kings campaign. And what the King of Kings campaign did was say, here are the commands of Jesus. We didn't go, here's who to vote for, here's the policy and how you should think about it. What we said is, these are the commands of Jesus, and we are going to commit ourselves to following them through this season. And so we just named things, words that come straight out of the mouth of Jesus, like love your neighbor. Commit to participating in the civic life participating in civil life as a means of loving and serving my neighbor rather than serving my own interests. We said things like, we are going to commit to removing the log out of our own eye before pointing out the speck in a fellow believers, right? So commit to giving our own issues more attention, our own flaws more attention than criticizing someone else. So we committed to loving our enemies, right? And on all these things, these weren't ways that we came up with. These are just things that Jesus had commanded of us. And what I watched in that season is even maybe people who had struggled in 2016, they committed themselves to this. And while the world around us was divided and dividing up in all the political sides, what we said is, no, we're making this commitment to love and we made it through that season, church. And so if we are gonna continue right, and what is another election year coming up, or whatever the next contentious season of our church or just our world is going to be, it's going to look like obedience to the commands of Jesus. It's going to look like recognizing that when we see the commands of Scripture, that they are a language of love, language of love. Obedience is what allows us to love one another, love God in truth. And I say, in truth, because sometimes what I think is we feel the urge to go, you know, we, we, we go, maybe when it comes to love, um, I'm going to bypass God's commands. Like we may not say that explicitly, but we don't look to them as the starting place. And so we go, I am gonna, I'm going to love people in my way. And what, what happens there is God doesn't remain the definition of love. We become the definition of love. And what can happen there is, you know, I think, when we think about loving one another, right? We often think about maybe, maybe it goes, our mind goes, here's how we can be nice to one another. Right? Here's how we can encourage one another. And that is a part of it. But also loving one another. Sometimes the people who have loved me the best have said the hardest things to me. Right? But they did that because what they said is, hey, I love you. And part of the commands of scripture, as we read today from Colossians 3, admonish one another. Speak the truth and love to one another like those are the commands that we won't get to if we're defining love by ourselves. God has to remain the definition. And when he remains the definition, right, we actually pursue love and truth for our neighbors, for one another. So love is a, or obedience to the commands of God can be a GPS of sorts, guiding us to love God and our family well. Sure is that God remains the definition of love. We carry it out by being obedient to, his word, obedient to his word, allowing us to remain in his love. And so obedience is our second mark of distinction. Obedience is love in action. So today, as we, as we get towards the end of our passage, what we're going to see, right? We talked about love, talked about obedience. Now we're going to talk about what allows us to live this way. Continue with me in uh, 1 John 5, where we're gonna close out our time in verses four and five. It says this, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the son of God? So we got some powerful words there from the pen of John, right? And what John says is that as the people of God, we love, we walk in obedience, and underpinning all of it is we walk in faith. We walk in faith. And it's this faith that we hold on to that allows us, that empowers us to overcome the world. So as we hear these three different terms, We hear about love, and we hear about obedience, and we hear about faith. These three things don't just exist in their own worlds. They tie in together, right? We love one another as we love God. We are able to love one another through obedience, and it's our faith that empowers us to love in this way. And what our faith tells us, or or, or what John says, I should say, he says, all of us who have been born of God have overcome the power of the world. And the victory that has overcome the world is our faith. And so I feel like John was like, he was, his pen was on fire at this moment, man. These are like some heavy, heavy bars, you know? And so what I think it would be helpful to do is to just slow down a bit and let's look at what some of these words mean. So what John is saying is incredibly rich here. He goes, we start off with just the word world right when john talks about the world he's not just talking widely about the creation the whole creation he's talking about the human the human centered system or way of life dominated by sin and opposed to the rule of god right and so we see that very clearly in the world around us and what john says is that system has to be overcome right that way of life has to be overcome we need to be able to resist in the power the power and Temptation of the world system and have a way to be resilient against it. And so how do we do that? Does it mean that we just pedal to the floor, try, our best, try as best as we can, work as hard as we can? Is that how we overcome the world? No, it's our faith. It's, our putting, it's us putting our trust in the saving work of Christ and ongoing reliance and confidence in him which enables and empowers us to share in his victory over sin, Satan, and evil at work in our world. So it's our faith that allows us to overcome. It's our faith that tells us that Jesus Christ has won the victory. That what the Bible tells us is that every name on heaven, on earth, and on under the earth will ultimately bow and confess him to be Lord. And so it's our faith that tells us that ultimately he will be the one to rule and reign over history. And our confidence in him tells us that we are going to be ruling and reigning for him as well for all eternity. But that's the, you know, if that's just a distant future, right? If that's just a beautiful future, it's nice, but it doesn't help us as much right now. But what our faith also tells us is that the that, that Jesus has given us his spirit. And that his spirit is with us and the power of grace working in us empowers us for all the things that we face in our lives today. All the hardships, all the headaches, all the highs and lows that we go through. Our faith reminds us that Jesus remains present with his people. That his promise is to be with us until the end of the age. And so if he is with us, we can endure. We can be resilient. We don't have to succumb to our sin. We don't have to feel like we are being overcome and defeated because our God is with us. And so what does this mean? Does this mean that we just need to like be more confident? Does this mean that we just need to go, okay, I know these things to be true, and so I got to you know, uh, uh, gear myself up for whatever the hard thing is coming? no. Because what our faith is about is not the confidence in ourselves. It's, the, it's looking and clinging to Jesus. It's not the measure of our faith. It's the object of our faith, Jesus Christ. And clinging to Him is what allows us to overcome. It's like recently, I took a trip to New York like three, four weeks ago. And uh, it was a red eye. And so I get seated and I'm a, I'm a little tired. Uh, and I hear the pilot come on. And he's like, turbulence. I'm sure he said other things, but that's kind of how I heard it, you know? And so I'm like, hey, yeah, yeah, you know. You know all the announcements on the plane. You're like, please, I, I get it. I've done, it's not my first rodeo, you know? And, you know, the plane takes off, and then we hit that rough air. I think that's the right term. And we hit that rough air, and all of a sudden, I'm like, whoa. I'm like, Did I, is this a roller coaster or is this a plane? And... You know, in that moment, right, I'm like, man, you want to see, see people grasp for faith? Put them in a plane that's shaking like that, man. You'll see, you'll see all sorts of prayers being said, you know? Um, but, you know, I'm sitting there in that plane, and what, what faith looked like in that moment was not me going, all right, I need to go to the cockpit and take over the plane and fly it myself, because that would have been a disaster in a lot of ways. What faith also, or I mean, what 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 Faith also didn't look like in that moment was me just going, well, I just need to like calm myself and uh, if, as soon as I think about it hard enough, it'll be over. No, what faith was in that moment was, I hope this guy in the potlet, I combined two words there. <laughs> I hope the pilot in there knows what he's doing and I'm gonna trust in his word that we are gonna get through this. Even if I can't see what he's doing. I don't know, he could be in the cockpit doing the cha-cha slide for all I know. But I put my faith in him that he knew what he was doing and we were able to get through it. So my point there is sometimes like we can think we don't have faith because we're afraid, but sometimes faith means holding on, holding on even in the midst of fear, right? Look at the people in Hebrews 11, that chapter that talks about the, the people who are commended for their faith and look at how they lived their lives. It wasn't always pretty, but they were clinging to God. But here's also what faith looks like, right? Because the reason why I was traveling to New York was because I wanted to go and visit the gravesite of my friend who passed away. Told you guys about that last time. And also, thank you guys so much. So many of you guys have reached out and told me you're praying for me. And that's been incredibly meaningful through this season. But what faith did, because, you know, so let me walk you through what it looked like because I got to New York and, you know, my second, there, second day there, I was like, all right, I'm going to go there. It was really, like, just tough, you know, being coming to terms with everything. And I finally got to the cemetery. It was in Yonkers, New York. And I drive up to his gravesite, And I just spent a lot of time just there praying uh, for his family and just reflecting. And I remember somewhere along the line there in that hour or two I was there is I, I took the opportunity just to look around. I looked around, and I saw all these other headstones. I was looking at some of the headstones, reading the years, reading the names, and I saw that on many of these headstones, there were Bible verses, crosses. And I don't know where everyone who was buried there ultimately landed and who was of true faith and not, but I'm assuming that some of those folks were people trying to just cling on to Jesus in faith, like me. And what faith did in that moment, because that was a moment of extreme sadness, is I was able actually to experience joy, by joy, this pervasive sense of well-being, even in the midst of something hard like that. Because what I remembered were the promises of God, the promises of God that, that, that stems from this reality that Jesus's tomb was empty. And so as I was standing there, what I wasn't looking at was the final resting place for Believers. That because his tomb was empty, so will ours. So we will be with him. And so faith, what it did for that did for me in that moment. When I was listening to a Stevie Wonder song yesterday. He, I feel like the way he said it, man. Captured it. It put some joy inside my tears. Joy inside the tears that I was feeling that moment because I remembered the words. I remember the actions of Jesus as I looked to him, was able to be encouraged through. That moment in faith. So that's what faith does. Faith is what powers us. And church, as we think about overcoming and being overcomers, right, it never starts with us. It starts with the object of our affection, Jesus. And what happens is we put our trust in him, recognizing it's not our strength, it's not our ability, it's not our success, it's not any of those things. It's what he has done. And the fact that we are in him is what allows us to be victorious because he was the victor and he went to the cross and he rose and he fulfilled the will of God. And he actually did all the actions and we get to live in benefit of it. We get to live as overcomers because ultimately he overcame. And so it's our faith That's our security. It's our faith that empowers us as we live and walk with Jesus. It's our faith, as the book of Hebrews says, we have the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen, that our God has said it and it will come to pass. And so we can overcome all these things. While the world around us may be succumbing to all these things, we can be representatives of the kingdom, overcoming in all these areas where many find themselves defeated in this moment. We can overcome selfishness, right? While the world is looking to protect itself at all costs, we remember the God who poured himself out for us at a total cost to him. And because he poured his love out for us, we remember that we are eternally loved and eternally protected and eternally secure. And we can't protect ourselves better than the protection and security we already have in him. And so we can live generously. We don't have to feel like it's all up to us. We can overcome the striving for status, right? While everyone is out there looking to make a name for themselves, we realize that we live from a name. While everyone is out there looking for love, we realize that we live from love. And we recognize that what Jesus has done, right? We look to him and remember how far he's gone on our behalf. And the reality is is that when we live into that, we remember that we have a name that's given to us that's better than any way the world can define us. In faith, we get there. It's through faith, right? While the world feels reeked with anxieties that feel just crippling in so many ways, we remember in faith that we have the promise of God that he is with us forever, right? That nothing catches him by surprise, that he has the full scope of time from beginning to end. And so what faith says is, even though these anxieties may be real, even though the worry may be real, our God is in control. And we can trust in his control, that he he has things in his hands, and that when we get to those places of deep anxiety, we call out and cry out to him, and he meets us there and he provides us strength beyond the strength that we have in ourselves. It's in faith that we get there. It's in faith that when the sickness comes, we've maybe been to you know a worldly or a funeral of someone who wasn't a believer, or maybe even in the sick room of someone who wasn't a believer. And we see just the grief and panic there. But when we remember that what our faith tells us, right, is that death, the worst thing the world can throw at us, the final enemy does not have the final word over us. That what Jesus has promised is that all the ways that we are afflicted now all the ways we feel the decay of this world and of sin's effect on our bodies, that there will be a day where they will have no more of an effect, that healing is coming, whether it be here or in the kingdom, that our God is bringing us to a total place of healing and that we will be in his glory totally redeemed and renewed in our bodies. And so sickness does not have the final word over us. Even death itself has lost its sting, amen? Amen. It's our faith that gets us there. Faith, the object of our affection, Jesus, and what he's accomplished on us that allows us to live, to walk in peace, remembering the security that we have because of him. We have the peace of being in union with Christ now and forevermore. And we hold on in faith, to the promises of Jesus. As he told us in John 16, he said this, take heart, I have overcome the world. Amen? Amen. So now we come to the table. Come to the table remembering how all of what we talked about today is possible. Again, it's not by our own strength. It's not by our own might, right? But it's in the power of Jesus and what he did in going to the cross bearing the marks on his body we deserve for our sake so that we can be in eternal relationship with him now and forevermore, so that we can be a part of the family of God and live for him and love and live in obedience and walk in faith. All this is possible because of the length that our Savior was willing to go for us. And so we come each week in faith remembering, remembering who we are, Father's love for us and the lives that we are called to in light of it. So I invite you to come forward. You are a follower of Jesus to come and take communion. And then uh, let's just respond and just worship him, singing out to our God who is worthy of all our praise. Let's pray. God, we we thank you for your word today. And we thank you uh, for what you've accomplished and uh, how we're able to live, empowered to live in light of what you've done. And so God, when our hearts grow weary, God, allow us to remember, Lord, that the, the confidence we have is not something we drum up in ourselves. It's looking to you, Jesus, and uh, knowing that you are with us, and you give us uh, your spirit that indwells us as believers, and God, you allow us to, to, to live and endure the hardest things the world may throw at us. We are overcomers because of what you've done. And so God, allow us to carry that into this week. Maybe there are some today who feel defeated in some ways. Allow us to allow them to remember the power that's found in you, Jesus, the power of the cross. Love you, Lord.